2 Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to make an observation on society before we read the Word of God. Went with the youth to uh, the water park yesterday. And when you put 10,000 people in close proximity in their bathing suits, you get to know a lot about people, okay? And and I found out that I was in the minority um, because I don't have a tattoo. (laughs) Now... Now, for those of you who have tattoos, that, that's fine. But understand, I grew up in, a, in, the, in the world where sailors and marines and guys who rode Harleys had tattoos. Um, and, and that was about it. But I want to tell you what. There were a lot of tattooed bodies at this water park yesterday. And people who had a lot of tattoos. The strangest tattoo. I mean, there were a lot of symbols I didn't know and words that I couldn't decipher But the strangest tattoo was this beautifully done tattoo on this woman's shoulder that said, Tattoo. (laughs) Get up, that's... that's, I I, I can't comment any further on that. You're standing in line, and and you're standing in line for these these rides, and I'm looking around at, at all these... Tattoos, and I, I fixated on this woman because I just couldn't understand why she would tattoo the word tattoo on her shoulder. She had others there uh, around, uh, but that was the, the strangest one. So, with that on our minds, let's stand if you're able and we'll read the Word of God. <laughs> Second Corinthians chapter 12. And I will read verses 7, 8, 9, and 10. Heavenly Father, come upon us with your spirit that we would have eyes to see, ears to hear, hearts to grasp it, and minds to understand. That we then might live it out as you have called us to. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. And because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. If you're in a pew Bible, then then you see that the phrase stands out here in verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you. Now, that is God's word for us. Now, how many of us have been in times in our lives where we didn't think we were going to be able to make it through? Perhaps we were reminded of that, that my grace is sufficient for you, sufficient enough for you to see you through whatever it is that you're facing. Now, this wonderful 
phrase centers around the word grace. Grace is used 155 times in the New Testament. It's a sense that it means the favor of God bestowed upon you through his power, starting with a transformation from an enemy of God to a child of God, all the way through to the glorification when we stand before the Lord. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter the rest that has been prepared for you. Grace is powerful. It is generous. It applies to the goodness of God as as the resources of God are poured out upon those he saves. It keeps us. It enables us. It delivers us. It sanctifies us. And as I said, eventually it glorifies us. In Ephesians chapter 2, it said, God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he loved us with his great mercy when we were dead in our transgressions, dead in sin, when we were his enemies. Then he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus in order that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, verses 4 through 7, I believe. So that he might show the surpassing richness. The surpassing, there there we have, so often in the New Testament we see this, it is a compilation of uh, of words of, uh, uh, I don't, I've, the word escapes me, but you put one on top of the other. This is great, this is greater. So we have the surpassing richness. We have exceedingly abundant, as it talks about grace again and again in the New Testament. Elsewhere in Ephesians, we see the reference made to the riches of his grace, the surpassing riches of his grace. Those are the words hyper Hyper, super grace. You think you have super sin? He has superer, superer grace. Okay, that's the way grace is given to us. It is always spoken of as a lavishness, a bestowing upon us of much more than we deserve or need. You think, well, Lord, I've needed some grace, and, and I didn't think I got enough. Well, you got plenty. You just haven't seen it yet. See, no time do we know that, do we see that God gives it out in a thimble, just a little bit at a time. He lavishes it upon us more than is needed in our lives. It enables us, to, it sustains us, it enables us to serve, to care for others. It is a grace that carries us through our sufferings, carries us through our weaknesses. It lifts us above disappointment, it lifts us above pain. That is why grace is called the surpassing grace of God in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, just a few chapters back. In John chapter 16, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Or in other words, my grace is sufficient for you. Okay? You will have trouble, but what? My grace is sufficient for you. In fact, all the necessary resources to face whatever the world throws at us has been given to us and is provided for us in God's grace. The throne of heaven, which we have gone to today, is called what? The throne of grace. That is what is dispensed by our Heavenly Father. Now, why all the talk about grace? Because we're weak. We are weak. And praise God that we are weak. Okay? Because if we think we are strong, we are in big trouble. 
But when we are weak, what happens? For power is perfected in that weakness. You want, you want power in your life, then you've got to be weak. No, that doesn't make sense in our society today, but that's what Scripture says. You want to live what you have to do first. You must die. Die to yourself. Die to the things of this world that you might be raised and live with Christ. When we think we're strong, when we think we can make it on our own, when we think we are self-sufficient, that's when we are in our biggest danger. Now, don't mistake my words that we need to be doormats, we need to be uh, fodder for the non-believing world. That's not what we say. Meekness weak, is not weakness, as, as the song goes about uh, the Sermon on the Mount, okay? What we're talking about in weakness is understanding from Scripture that God alone is sovereign. That he holds all the power in his hands, that his will is perfect, and that all he does is for the benefit of those who belong to him. When you understand that, then you can be weak because then you must rely upon the Lord. You must say, Lord, I I can't do it. You have to do it. What do I need to walk in obedience? How can I put away my own desires and my own selfishness? How can I be weak in the eyes of of the world And find the strength that is provided for me in your grace. Now, if you don't want to be weak, I'm convinced that the Lord will weaken you. Okay? I'm convinced that the Lord will bring things into our lives that will make us weak. That will remind us time and time again that you have to rely upon him. That you have to put aside the things that you hold dear, dear, and he will remind us of our frailty, of our feebleness, and we'll be weak and we'll have to turn to him. So often you don't know Christ is all you need until Christ is all that you have. Now in this passage, we find out about weakness. And and we're going to hit just, it's very simple, we're only going to hit three things. There are many more things in the passage, but we're going to hit three things that remind us about what God is doing in the midst of our weakness, okay? First, God uses this weakness, this suffering, to humble us. Um, Look at verse 7. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. Remember, this is Paul talking. Paul and the Lord, I have to say, were pretty close. And the Lord had visited Paul, I think, four different times in the New Testament with direct revelations that he had spoken to Paul directly and given him information. Now, as much as I would like to say that the Lord has spoken to me in in my office, in the inner sanctum, I've gone in and, you know, you might call and Tina would say, no, Randy's in with the Lord. And and she's joking, okay? Um, I like to think the Lord's in there, but he's not given me any direct revelations. But he had come to Paul on several occasions and given him direct information. Now, I want to tell you what, that that will do things to you as a person. That will make you feel good about yourself. That will make you even what? Proud. I mean, has the Lord spoken to you today? Well, Well, let me tell you what he told me, okay? Now, that will give you a lot of pride, and pride is a dangerous thing. And Paul says he has given me to this thorn in the flesh, and we'll get to that, to keep me from exalting myself. To keep me from being proud that the Lord has spoken to me directly. Now, Paul is struggling here with this. He knows he shouldn't be proud, but yet there's a danger that he could be proud. 
He says, I don't know why I continue to do the things I know I'm not supposed to do, and I don't know why I don't do the things that I know that I am supposed to do. He says, I'm struggling with these things. Now, it's interesting that pride is, we want to say, the ultimate sin, and perhaps humility is the ultimate virtue. What was it that got Lucifer kicked out? Pride. What was it that got Adam and Eve kicked out? It's pride. They wanted to be like God. Okay. What is the ultimate virtue? Humility. What did Christ do? Let me think. The Last Supper. Um, here we have the Savior of the world, and he does what? He goes and washes the feet of those he came to serve. You want to be the leader? You must be the servant first. Okay. Paul, who was so close to the Lord that Christ appeared to him, apparently needed a reminder of who he was before the Lord. So, let's remember maybe sometime in your life that you can identify when your life was blessed and, and it looked, life looked pretty easy. Okay. When you were going along, you, maybe you were seen as, saw yourself as especially favored by God. Maybe because you had been so good or some fashion like that and life is going along easy and you think, well, God's really blessing me. Look what I've done. Things are going along just fine. But God wants humility in us. So sometimes he will humble us and he will remind us of our weaknesses. And if we don't pursue those, if we're not regularly pursuing humility, then God will help us pursue humility. So for Paul, it was given him, verse 7, a thorn in the flesh. Now, when I say thorn, what do you think of? You think of those rose bushes that maybe you got planted on the side of your house or your neighbor or when uh, you last time, ladies, you received a dozen roses from your husband, right? You're thinking, I can't remember that. And you see those little bitty thorns on there, okay? That is not the word there. The word that we translate as thorn in the flesh is literally stake. If you want to hold up a tree, you stake the tree. If you want to go into battle, you go into battle with a same type of word, a stake. So this is something substantial. This is not a little bitty thorn that might be a nuisance. This is a stake that would provide quite a bit of pain involved in this. Okay. And what was this thorn in the flesh, this stake, uh, this spear that kept Paul humble? Verse 7, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Now, there's a lot of commentary on this. So what was this, this messenger of Satan? Some people think, well, maybe it was Paul's bad eyesight and, and, and maybe it was indigestion problem. Maybe it was, uh, well, who knows what it was. Well, he says right here, it's a messenger of Satan. Some sort of demonic force was affecting Paul. Now, Paul could not be possessed, understand, because he was a believer and he was filled with the Holy Spirit. You're filled with the Holy Spirit. You can't be filled with anything else. But Satan, that does not mean Satan can never buffet us or uh, oppress us. So I think Paul was under some form of demonic oppression, and I'm thinking it's in the form of the false teachers at Corinth who are telling the church how bad Paul is, that his teachings are not correct, that, you know, Paul is suffering terribly, and That means that God's favor is not upon him. Look at us. We are blessed. So God's favor is upon us. This is the teaching of the false teachers here at Corinth. So I think it was this 
false teaching that was going on at Corinth and the pain that it was causing Paul uh, in, in some fashion. It's, it's a little nebulous, but, you know, obviously it is from Satan. So we could think, is there, when there is false teaching, when there is obviously, willingly, enthusiastically, those who teach false doctrine, we have to say that must be the work of Satan in the church. Must be the work of Satan in the church. And if you remember, Satan operates in a, in a way that disguises himself. He disguises himself as a what? An angel of light. Okay? And that's the same word that is used here for messenger is angel. So Satan is not above or not beneath looking very much like truth if he can influence the church or oppress believers. So this is what Paul is facing. And why does this happen? So to keep me from exalting myself. And here's Paul. He and the Lord, pretty close. Now, Paul, so that you won't get a big head, so that you won't become proud, so that you will remain my humble servant, I'm going to give this to you. Did Paul ask for it? How many of us have gone to the Lord and said, Lord, I really don't want to be proud? Would you provide for me some pain in life so that I will become humble or remain humble? Anybody? Has anybody prayed that prayer? You know, Lord, provide me pain so I'll be humble. No. It's not usually what we ask, but the Lord knows when we need it. So it's the Lord that has provided this for Paul. Verse 8. Concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Entreated is begged. Beg the Lord, Lord, please take this from me. Please, please, three times. And what did the Lord say to him? No. You know, the Lord answers what? He says yes. He says no. And he says later. Maybe there are other answers. But Paul got a no. A flat out no. You will have this spear in your flesh so that you will not be proud. He did this so that Paul would rely upon the Lord. Okay? When you are hurting, when it is a constant pain, whether it is an emotional pain, whether it is a physical pain, whether it is a psychological pain, you have to rely upon the Lord. You're driven to rely upon the Lord because the things of society just won't suffice. You need the grace of your Creator. And this brings us to the third thing, and I think it is the most important one here. Verse 9. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Paul said three times, Lord, will you please, please take this from me. And the Lord said, I'm not going to remove your trouble. I'm going to increase my grace. Now think about that. I'm not going to remove your trouble. I'm going to increase your grace, my grace to you. See, it's these kinds of tests when we experience them that we think they're going to crush us and we say, Lord, remove these things from me. He says, no. I'm not going to take that pain from you. I'm not going to take your weakness from you. I'm not going to do anything except I'm going to increase the amount of grace that I'm going to bestow upon you. And we think, well, I'd rather be out of the trouble. No, not really. 
Really, we want that grace. The Lord promises us what? That we will be removed from pain, that we will be removed from suffering, that we will not go through hardship. He never promises those things. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. And when is it perfected in your life? When you are the weakest. When you have no place else to turn, when you have nothing else, when you have no resource of your own, then my grace is showered upon you and my power is perfected in you at that time. Jeremiah writes Lamentations. Remember my affliction and my wandering, the wormwood and the bitterness. And then he goes on to say, this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. And what did Jeremiah recall? The Lord's loving kindness, it never ceases. It never ceases. And then he goes on in chapter 3 to say what? The great hymn, great is thy faithfulness. Okay, that is what is bestowed upon us. That is what is lavished upon us. The faithfulness of God, his grace, it never ceases. His compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Joshua in chapter 1, be strong and courageous. Do not tremble or be dismayed for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go wherever you go enter the trouble understand the weakness understand the suffering but go in with the understanding that in the midst of that God will pour out his grace upon you in measures that you had not experienced before doesn't promise trouble free he promises to lavish grace upon us Not only is his grace efficient, but his power is perfected in weakness. God says, my power is perfected in whose weakness? In our weakness. God's power perfected when I am the weakest. God's grace bestowed upon me in the highest measure when I am at my lowest. When I have my greatest need. The suffering that humbles you. The suffering that draws you into the presence of the Lord. The suffering that dispenses his grace is the suffering that makes you powerful. When you are weak and when you don't think you can go any further, that is when his power is perfected in you. As long as you continue to trust in your own cleverness, in your own abilities, in your own strengths as they are in this world, you will never understand power. You will never understand how it can be perfected in you. Until you become weak. If God desires to show his power in our weakness, why should we attempt to cover that weakness? Why should we attempt to move away from that weakness? Remember, he does, he's not going to remove us from it. He's going to say, I'm going to give you more grace to get through it. The Lord knows what is best for us. In Hebrews chapter 11, he says that by faith, some escaped the edge of the sword. But by faith, some died by the edge of the sword. By faith, some stopped the mouths of lions. By faith, others were sawn in two. By faith, some were mighty in war. By faith, others suffered in chains and imprisonment. It's it's by faith either way. It's the measure of grace that is given to those who are weak. That's when power is perfected. That's when the glorification of our Heavenly Father can happen. That's when the gospel can best be proclaimed when we are weakest. Because it is then that we have the power. 
Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have said your grace is sufficient. It is sufficient to see us through. It is sufficient to sustain us. It is sufficient to cover our sin, no matter what that sin would be. When we confess it to you, you are faithful to forgive. When we face struggles that we think are going to crush us, when things that seem to be out of our control, we are faced with those, when it seems that we have no hope, no strength, no ability, no power, that's when we are weakest. That's when your grace is lavished upon us and your power is perfected in us. Lord, in each of our lives, we face times, perhaps, that we thought we would be crushed by the pressures of the world, by suffering, by our own weak hearts, weak wills, whatever it may be. Times when we had nothing left, and now we can look back and see it was you who sustained us. It was you who gathered us up in your arms and took hold of us and cared for us. It was you who who through the hands and feet of believers came and cared for us and ministered to us. It was there that we were given the words to say, the strength to go on, whatever it would be. You never removed us. You just provided us more grace to see us through. Lord, for those who are suffering, for those who are weak, for those who are in the midst of trial, tribulation, hardship, whatever it may be, Remind them, Lord, that your grace is sufficient and your power is perfected as we are weak. That they would be able to stand in assurance. Assurance of your love and assurance of your presence. Assurance in the face of whatever trial that they are experiencing. Lord, that we would be reminded of your care and love for us in the midst of our weakest moments. Your grace is poured out upon us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our closing hymn is number 486. Open my eyes that I may see. Please stand as we sing.